Yes, what is good? You are tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns, and I'm joined here by Simran, who is very happy because we finally played some Drake on the show. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thank you very much, Carlos, for letting me have it. Yeah. Freestyle on. You're welcome. <laughs> and today's also very special because we have got our first ever live guest. Uh, everything so far has been via stream, but today we're joined by a um mancunian as well um this is lucky roy singh who is the i don't know are you the only manchester indian punjabi drag queen yeah basically um i think throughout the uk to be fair wow there are people out there to be fair and by the way my name is lucky roy singh again before i interrupted there um just saying that because um there is a lot that are hidden at the moment and I'm the person that's out there at the moment, but there is, there is people out there. Sure, yeah. Um, do you mind just coming a bit closer? To the no. Mic? Honestly, it's not COVID effective, but there's been times where I've come in and there's maybe been like a bit of like blusher or something like oh. on, on the mic. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, um, obviously, I was telling Simran before, we followed each other on Instagram for a while. Yeah. Um, I think that it's quite nice actually how there's quite a tight knit um south asian community on instagram like that's how um i came across you as i saw other people had followed you and i was yeah. like oh okay this is cool like, and i wouldn't have found you otherwise yeah. even though obviously you're based in manchester um yeah so that's just really nice that that exists um so obviously for the first part of um today's episode i just wanted to let the people know like a bit about you about your um story um and just in general, how you came to be um, Lucky Roy Singh that you are today. Um, I should probably say before we get into it that um, there is potential that some of the stuff we're going to talk about might be a bit triggering for some people. It's quite deep um, in parts, but um, all more reason to like put it out there and actually talk about it and make people that might be going through the same thing feel a bit more comfortable and that they're not alone. So to start off with... Um, Obviously, I said you're Mancunian. Um, where did you grow up and what was that like, wherever it was? So I grew up in Old Trafford. Mm. Um, I brought up in a Sikh household. Um, I've got two older sisters, two older brothers, mm-hmm. um, and two lovely parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with that, growing up, I always struggled with being LGBTQ+, and I find it really difficult um, because it's not really discussed in an Asian household, never mind a Sikh household, it's not discussed mm-hmm. in many brown families, you know, um, all black families, to be fair, it's not really discussed or put at the table in that perspective. Um, and growing up, it, I kind of felt suppressed because I knew who I was inside, but I was struggling with how do I acknowledge who I am inside because there was no representation, there was nobody that I could watch on TV that looked like me, that had my skin colour, or there was nobody that was queer and in the Sikh community, invisible like me. So even when I used to go to the temple and the Gurdwara, you used to see it like, um, it was mainly like a boy and girl division, to be fair. And all you would get is your aunties looking at you from across the hall, like, are you good enough for my son or daughter? Mm. That's, yeah. the only, that's the only thing they're thinking yeah. about. That is literally thing. how it is, that's yeah. How it is. Mm. Like you walk in and all the yeah. males sit on one side, all yeah. the females sit on the other. It's like a big divide in the yeah. middle. Mm. So have you felt that way pretty much your entire life or was it from a certain point in your childhood that you started feeling that way so i knew i was different when i was four years old because 
I had a crush on my friend Stephen. Shout out to Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I had a crush on him and he didn't come to my birthday party um, one time and I had a tantrum. And I still see I still see his mum now. I went to cook my cake and I was like, I still see his mum now. And she always asks about me. I'm like, hi, how's Stephen? Yeah, he's got a wife and a kid. I was like, right, okay. Shut that <laughs> conversation down then. Still but, hurts. You know, so for me, I knew it was different, but I continually struggled throughout nursery, primary, high school, and bullying. And, you know, the, it just went on and on because I was different. Mm. I think that's the sad thing as well is that between what you just said then, the first time that I realised I was different. And that's the thing that I, we still see it as, thinking oh yes i'm different to yeah hetero this heteronormative society yeah the amount of heteronormality in our society is just so rife to the point that you have to refer to yourself as different when that's not the case it's just who you were and how you felt at the time you know it's the fact that that seems as like you're varying from the norm and obviously that's not really the case Mm. so obviously grew up in old trafford and then um correct me if i'm wrong but i think you met your um ex-husband now when you were quite young right mm-hmm. so do you want to tell us a bit about that and um, how you met sort of thing yeah so i met my ex-husband at a cousin's wedding um initially and just become family friends and you know long distance relationships how it is you know everybody's aunties 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 is your friend and your cousin that's one of those mm-hmm. um and i actually knew i was gay but i didn't know how I was to go about it so i was just going through life i was always suicidal when i was younger i used to keep a diary like i did now i still keep a diary today but when i the diary inputs are more suicidal than anything um in that but um when i met him it was crazy because he was somebody that tried to bring it out of me like he knew as soon as he seen me he knew something was there and he always tried to bring it out of me. now i thought he was trying to just expose me you know, like to try and bring it out of me so he could like tell his boys and whatever like oh, oh, oh this and that but we had a mutual thing and it led to something and then we started seeing each other for all, around five years in secret um to no knowledge of my family um to five of, years yeah so oh. we were together for five years before that like meeting discreetly and he took my virginity you know so it was like you know it's the whole consumption of being gay was really hard in the first place but having a relationship on top of that a south asian relationship was really really difficult mm. and hiding it from your parents and society mm. even getting looked at in the street when you want to hold hands in traffic center and stuff like that do you know what i mean mm. so it was like one of those things but it was really difficult at that time yeah i think especially traffic center because we all know um that's the go-to for a lot of um, asian households yeah. Yeah. so yeah i can imagine that um so when you say five years, so at the end of that five years, um, how old were you then? So I was around 22, right. 23, around those ages. And was it then that um, he decided to introduce um, you to his family? Yeah, well, because I'd, I was already introduced to his mum when I was um, 20. Okay. I did performances. I did Kathak, which is a form of Indian dance. Um so through that, his, his he, he used to come watch me and he wanted to introduce me to his mum because he was kept saying to me, you know, like, I want to take this serious, I want to be with you, and this and that. And both pressures were coming from both of us as he was getting asked, um, you know, like, what are you going to do with your life? Because he had told his son that he was gay, bisexual, let's say, because he raised that bisexual um, from a young age. So they were prepared to which way they were going to swing it. With my family, they were just prepared to bring a girl and be like, even though I used to come down with pink rollers in my hair, 
you know, with some lip gloss on, but, you know, they were still like, oh, we're going to have a look at a girl for you. So it became one of those things where the narrative was to take it a step further and he wanted a relationship where I met his mother and he introduced him to his mother in TGI Fridays. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, at least it wasn't KFC. I know yeah. my, my like sister. Yeah, no, my, I know my um, sister. Sorry, my girlfriend's sister once um, said of how she went on a date with someone who took them to KFC for the first date. So, <laughs> safe to say it was a first date and only date. <laughs> yeah, first um, and last. Yeah. Um, so, your boyfriend's um, family at the time, um, did they seem. Qu- you said they've already like kind of come to terms with it where they're quite accepting of you yeah and for me it was a shock factor because i've never seen a south asian woman indian woman really be so open and discussing it on a tgi friday table eating wings and having a cocktail you know <laughs> i was like i was like this is the real deal like it's actually happening and she was she looked at me and she said to me clearly i can see that my son really likes you and stuff but i didn't realize the glare that she looked at me with was for another reason which was she's conniving Mm. you know for me what what i've been through with her for me it was a point of i need to take this person to use my son's desires and get rid of them afterwards you know so it'll go out of the system because mainly when i talk to south asian women now and i do my talks and stuff they think being gay is a phase that you'll go through and once that mm. phase is over you'll get rid of it which is not mm. because i won't be happy with a woman i just wouldn't even though he's a beautiful and i'm inspired by his all you know <laughs> i'm just not unfortunately and for that factor mainly was his family were okay with it but then they would put pressure on me to tell my family and i didn't tell my family because there was no way i could bring that subject to the table with my sisters getting married my brothers getting married having kids you know family household big wedding there was no really perspective to bring that to the table or sit down and have a conversation with your parents like over dal and say you know i'm gonna be gay and marry somebody else so it's like even though she was from what you saw accepting of your ex-boyfriend and him being yeah. well bisexual i think yeah, at yeah. the time even though she was accepting like to your face in a way because she was expecting it to be a phase yeah. there is not really that accepting though is it yeah you know that's what i mean but i i only realized that was the case once i said i do and i was right. in that house and you know, because before I used to go down, I'm not going to lie to you, so I used to go down to the house. I used to dress how I wanted to go down to the house. Um, obviously, I never really seen the dad or the grandma, but I always seen the mum and the sisters and the sister-in-laws and stuff. And it was quite cool. It was quite relaxed. I'm like, we're going to go shopping. She used to say to me, she goes, we're going to be more like friends and we're going to be more like buddies and we can go shopping and get our facials done and wherever and this and that. I was like, right, okay. This is really, really cool because I've not even had that chance to do that with my own mum because there's that division of oh i'm a boy and you're a woman and this and that do you know what I mean? it was very there was a very nurturing relationship there with my mum in that way compared mm. to how she put it to me was going to be with her you mm. know which is unfortunately as again when i do my talks and we find out by most south asian women and most women as well they all do this before marriage to make you think accept my son and my family to get you in that kitchen and change that gas cooker mm. it's a sad fact of life it is that's just how it kind of works in our yeah. community, I suppose. For anyone coming into the household, female or male, or non-binary, like it's just yeah. how that works, you know. Mm. Which is an expectation that needs to kind of be tackled and looked at because that you can't just have that for everybody that goes to marry your son. Yeah, you know. So that probably brings on to the next part of your story, which is um, when you said "I do." I moved in, um, it was under one condition, right? Yeah. So, so the condition was um, 
משתפים פרום קטק, משתפים פיצ'רס מי אקסס פונימיס אקספרימנט, with clothes in the bedroom, you know, and he's buying me jewelry and stuff. And to be fair, like now, after having therapy, I understand who I am today. But back then, I really didn't have the chance to explore who I was. It was just like fulfilling his sexual desires and, you know, um, being somebody for them. Because the condition was she wanted me to only marry him if I would dress as a woman full time. That was the condition to be his. On the wedding day, I'd have to dress as a woman. I'd have to pretend I was one for the community when we do our rituals for the following couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and wasn't it, um, at first it was sold to you as kind of being, oh, it's a, it's a short-term yeah, thing, it's it just... Yeah, it was sold to me as a short-term thing. It was more like, because me and him discussed it as well, and they discussed it, and then we were like, six weeks to eight weeks max, you'll have to do it, you know, because there's only so many rituals that you have to do afterwards, and then you can... Obviously, after I got married, I did something that 
upset her in a way so she took out her own back by taking me to my parents house as a woman which literally caused a lot of problems because they'd never seen anything like that and you know it kind of destroyed my dad stuff like that but um you know i feel like it was literally a game of chess chess because she was knocking me out and every second that she could get she would dictate what i was doing and it definitely comes down to coercion and not not having the awareness to understand that your son isn't going to have this desire to go away he's going to want this person for the rest of his life and whether you sit there and dictate that how much salt is in the curry and it's not right and i'm bringing shame on the family because my bra strap showing in my sari or something like that it's it's totally nonsense because you're picking a fight with me over little little things which is causing more stress for you causing more stress for my ex for everybody in the house basically and you're ruining everybody's life at the same time that doesn't seem like it's not parallel with a lot of I think yeah. women's experience, Asian yeah. women's experiences going into their um, partner's household, like moving in after the wedding. I think that does draw a lot of similarities that a lot of women would experience, yeah. regardless of, um, yeah. you know, their gender or what the agenda they are assigned to at birth or anything of the sort. I think you're in in a way that experience is not unique in that sense, yeah. which is a really bad. Yeah, that's, that's, that's obviously I mean. yeah. not okay to have in our culture that we have this kind of air of you have to even though you're coming into this house as your own person, you now are subject to being moulded by this person. In You're your in as this person's mother or father and have to fit their expectations. You know what's mad as well is that um, your ex-husband's mother probably experienced that herself mm-hmm. and then still yeah. is... That's kind of how it's done, right? Yeah. Just a generational thing, so therefore you'll probably be expected to do it to your daughter-in-law. Like that, r- that rite of passage, yeah. Like. yeah, precisely. You, if you had it done to you, therefore you feel like the world owes you something. Mm. You'll impose it on somebody else. Yeah. So, at what point did um that um environment reach a breaking point for you? Oh my god, there was so much that went on in that house, like like forced abortions between the sister-in-laws that were going on because they were having carrying girls. There was like burning going on. There was like hot water, hot oil being thrown at you. There was, um, you know, there was there was derogatory words, mental torture compared to being called a slag on a daily basis. Yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say it on radio, so sorry for anyone that's been offended by <laughs> that. But yeah, yeah, no swearing or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah. I don't, I don't even know. But we're just covering ourselves. Um, but yeah, so. Obviously, you said there's so many different things that are going on. Um, yeah, it is, it's literally yeah, yeah. abuse. Like I think I've seen on, I don't know if it was your Instagram or somewhere, you, you classify yourself as a honour abuse survivor. Because yeah. like, yeah. that's literally what you've gone through. Um, so, like, you, so you said these like various things. So what actually, how, how did you get away from that? How did I get away from that? I I realised that I might die in this house and no one would know if I die in this house. So my presumption for that was God. And I had a lot of faith in my God. And I said to God, you brought me here. I've done it as best as I could. It's not worked out for me. And the abuse that I'm suffering, I might die here. So I do need to get out. So I tried to have arguments with her and my ex-husband on purpose. I did it. I'm not going to lie. I questioned things. I dictated things. You know, I went over and over and asked questions um, that I shouldn't really have the knowledge to ask, to be fair, or I didn't really need to get involved in stuff like that. And 
The final straw was when she really wanted to get rid of me. She told my ex-father-in-law to come into my bedroom and unzip his trousers to scare me. You know, so... Um, but that just shows how disgusting and how vile these people are because to me, I give that person my own father's respect, you know. When you go into somebody else's household as a South Asian woman or man or wherever, an in-law is your next in kind mum or dad. Don't replace your mum and dad. I would say that today. Don't replace your mum and dad with your in-laws, but give them that respect and you deserve that respect back. Mm-hmm. So was it an active up and move like right that's it i'm done leaving or um no i played i played it i played it for six weeks i think i literally the mm. fights have started for six weeks because i was too heartbroken to leave him mm-hmm. like that was my pull my strings were getting pulled by him so it was like that was really really the thing that i needed to convince myself um of that because she's you guys don't understand but she literally starved me i wasn't allowed to eat i wasn't allowed to use the toilet at times like she was literally it was getting to a really bad state for me mm-hmm. um in that so i did say to him i'm gonna go he asked me to leave after seeing the scarrings and stuff he goes i didn't know it was this bad and what was going on and this and that because obviously he was away some of the time with work he does travel a lot but but at that perspective you know he should have done more now i see it today and everyone always gets angry at this but he was my first love so i can't really fault him for doing that because he still accepts me for who he is that i know i know it's crazy it's, mm-hmm. it's some kind of sad thing that i've got but you know it is but for me i would say that was a triggering point and then i packed my stuff and she called everybody around and she searched all my stuff before i went in the hallway in front of everybody just so i don't say no ancestral gold any money anything you know like she proper caused the scene and then i just left and i was homeless and i went to the homeless shelter and I got put in a, to a hostel, which that took ages while I was literally homeless. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to honour-based abuse, but honour-based violence. They wouldn't listen to the LGBTQ plus rights issues or anything that was going on. Nothing. They wouldn't listen to anything. Finally, they listened when somebody out of my immediate family had to step in and vouch for what was going on, you know, and stuff like that. So that's what it was. Uh, that makes you think as well, like people that are put into those type of positions often have nobody in their corner and that's why they're in those positions in the first place so it's quite thankful that you had someone that was able to vouch for you shouldn't have needed that yeah. but if you hadn't then would you even have been able to get access to that hostel so then that open that's sh- that what you've described shows like a lot of flaws within the system and i yeah. think there's so many different layers like intersectional layers like um both the LGBTQ plus side of things, the um, um, race side of things and culture side of things in terms of not being willing to actually understand properly what is honour abuse, how is it linked to um, South Asian culture or, or embedded in certain cultures, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, when we're saying that, we're not saying that um, every single <laughs> South Asian household goes through this, but there's certain ways in which it happens and there's a lack of desire i would i think that to actually understand as to how it's happening understand why it's happening sort of thing i think it's sort of like wait we've, we've talked about this before we were talking a bit about um 
the um the how the government tackles um extremism in um South Asian households and there's a bit of a lack of desire to actually understand what is actually going on and how it leads to that. You kind of just wait until the the bad um, stuff happens yeah. and then be like, oh well, let's chuck this person in jail, like sort of thing, rather than actually wanting yeah. to help people. Like there's a lack of understanding from a government's point of view of the cultural basis for which these things occur and how things like extremism or things like honour-based abuse and violence develop. And I think your story really does highlight the structural flaws within how the government handles things like when someone would become homeless as a result of honour-based abuse and then they wouldn't want to go about understanding why that's happened. And that just shows a massive flaw in the system because women and girls are dying at the hands of honor-based abuse and violence in this country it's not this is not like an eastern culture thing this is happening in the uk um and then on top of that like not being able to sympathize with the obviously blatant homophobia in that household and the abuse that took place so the fact that you even had to get someone to step in and you like you said vouch for you is just shocking so um after you were placed in the hostel how is it that you were able to eventually reconnect with your actual um blood family so it took a long time i was um on a lot of medication for depression and stuff i was seeing a counselor which was sorted out by an amazing caseworker and if you're listening i can't say your name for work but you you're amazing because you helped me quite a lot um in that you know there was a perspective for me when i kept the pictures went viral my wedding and everybody was commenting and um i kept thinking to myself what am i going to do what am i going to do what am i going to do because obviously my parents had disowned me already once she took me to the house you know um i was helpless as it was but having those pictures go viral and people contacting your family members and people contacting you or your in-laws and stuff and making the situation worse did not help but it kind of showed me who I could value as a person, who I couldn't, as well. So it opened me up to that. So, but then when that happened, um, I don't know if I can say it. BBC contacted me about the story regarding that, okay. about the pictures, basically, sure. and asked me asked me to comment. But my caseworker um declined because I wasn't up to it at that time. So my caseworker seen that I was always writing in diary, and she was like to me, "So have you been keeping a diary where you were married?" I was like, "Yes, I've been keeping a diary since I was married." Um, I was like, right, okay, that's interesting. Because any any time you want to reflect back on it or look on it or give evidence or something like that, that would come in handy. So there was loads of stuff that went on in the hostel. Um, there was loads of stuff that went on when I tried to get my life back together there. So I dismissed everything that was happening and I tried to get on with my life. Um, speaking to counsellors and caseworkers and I started working at River Island and tried to piece my life back together but it took me a significant amount of time to see me who I was um after suicide and stuff like that again um and then I realized I was like why am I hiding it just occurred to me why am I hiding because every person that looks at me has sympathy for me but I don't want to be looked at as a victim anymore to be fair I want to be looked at as someone that married the man of their dreams and they literally me over, you know, in that sense, um, in so many words. And for me, I just couldn't comprehend how the faith that I had in God allowed that to happen and so much stigma kept coming, you know, with family and generations and stuff for that to keep happening. So my mum was ill. I came to see her. 
she asked me if I'm doing okay, and I just said, yeah, I'm okay. And then my grandma was really terminally ill, and she came to the funeral. Everyone looked at me and said, you looked really ill, and stuff like that, and you know, like, you've not seen you in ages, and, you know, and the community looked at you, and they looked like, wow, you looked so completely like somebody else, and they already heard about the wedding pictures going viral, so they all knew, you know, there's questions near the coffin, looking at people and stuff like that, how they do it. Um, and then I said, do you know what? I'm just going to come home, forget it. They're all going to look at me. They're going to look at me if I'm there. They're going to be looking at me if I'm in a different city. Might as well come home and face it. I came home. Um, my parents were really glad to see me home after my suicide. And they had to come to the hospital, obviously, in where I was staying. Um, so my dad actually said to me, you know, you do come home because you're my child. No one's going to say anything to you. There was, there was a lot of stigma around my um, siblings being married in cultural environments. And, you know, they were like, oh, there's going to be problems with them if you come home and stuff like that. Certain people were saying, but my dad said, no, I'm just coming home. So that gave me the impulse to actually come home. There was those many factors going on that gave me the impulse. So I came home and from that I self-published my diary. I just, you know, the main reason why I self-published my diary is because I got a threatening phone call off somebody. And you probably heard about it anyway. It's all of my Instagram and stuff. My big brother not happy and stuff and you know with what was going around and how I was perceived and stuff like that so I just stuck my diary online and just thought to myself I need people to understand my side of the story not just see the wedding pictures there's two men one man dressed as a woman and taking a mockery out of religion when with the picture was like even taken in the temple you know so it was like we didn't even get married in the temple so I don't, I don't understand the perspective of how much chain reaction of just a simple picture could achieve was baffling for me. And then I published my diary going back to it. And then I was contacted by various charities to start talking about my story. Went back to counselling, had a lot of therapy, which was privately funded by my parents. Um, you know, and um, it was interesting to get my life back on track with my parents because now they see after when we read my story, she understood completely a lot of things. My dad understood a lot of things. He was, my dad was very homophobic when he was young, he said. And um, he goes, it's karma that you've been on my doorstep. I said, it is, Dad. It's karma. Well, yeah, karma, like, for the best, really. Yeah. Like, in yeah. terms of, obviously, not as tragic in the way that it happened, but in terms of, for the best, in terms of positive outcomes in terms of he learns and learns to accept and learns to educate himself and yeah um so i'm probably gonna have to play a bit of music in um, a few minutes but just if you could maybe um, just tell the people how you have come to be lucky Roy Singh that you are today because if i understand um you it was your ex-husband actually first got you into um, drag right or like you're talking about like the whole cross-dressing like... in that time yeah. yeah 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 so how have you got to where you are today since self-publishing self-publishing your diary it's it's so strange i'm going to tell you it's so simply it's really like this nobody listens to a woman so a man has to dress as a woman to get a reaction from people to make people understand that's the simple form of it you know and unfortunately people only wake up when i stick a wig on you know when i go and do a talk at um, the, in Parliament or in you know the House of Commons or you know um, at charity events nationally, people only listen when I've got a wig on. They don't listen when I'm either a guy or a woman speaks. I don't think they have. To, they need a shock factor. 
and that's the sad facts of it and for me that was something that I had to do in able to help the victims that were contacting me from my story I had to do it because I couldn't see somebody else go through what I was going through or had gone through so do you think that um this whole idea of um in families if their son is um not um heterosexual there's this element of oh we'll allow it because it's a phase and we'll um allow them to get um, married to another man but we'll make them dress up as a woman do you think that's a common thing to be happening it is a common thing to be fair like underground there's so much that's going on and there's there's so many there's so many factors that people are into unfortunately they are into a lot of men are into cross-dressers are into drag queens are into some people and it's a way of fact of life that it's going to be happening but those people that are into it should realize that you know it's something that i should be accomplished for or you know i should be like acknowledging the fact that i am who i am but they're not for that reason so the amount of stuff that that keeps going on underlining there is so many people having these underlying issues for this very reason because they're not being them truthful self so going back to the question yes i do think that it's happening more often it's so sad as well when you're talking about the um some men who are like into um the idea of cross-dressing yeah. drag queens etc like it's literally taylor's oldest time really because like if you watch like documentaries like paris is burning and you see the amount of queens from like the 80s and 90s that lost their lives yeah. because it would be that these men would um be attracted to them sleep sleep with them get um disgusted by their own um yeah. sexual desires yeah. and then take these um like people they're literally people's lives like and it's just like it is is it, and oh this is all a product of the way that um heterosexuality and this idea of the norm is like drilled into our heads from such yeah. a young age and it's not even a case of it, it it's beyond it being the norm it's actually this constant aversion to anything that doesn't it's confined to that and this idea of what's again going back to what you said at the beginning what's different about me what's wrong with me and it's just yeah it's just sad but it is great to see what you're doing what you've achieved like how far you've come and like just being an inspiration really not only for um people um within the lgbtq plus community but also in terms of just general south asians like everything honor abuse survivors so definitely like that's why it's honestly it's it's a privilege to have you here today and actually speaking about your story and hearing um just how far you've come and like how other people can get to the other side if they persevere thank you so much obviously for um acknowledging that because it does take a lot of effort for me to talk about my story like it's triggering mm. and you know and um, we don't do it for fun we do it or we don't do it for exposure we do it for the fact that we can stop this from happening to somebody else and professionals and government need to understand that it's still happening unfortunately mm-hmm. and that's the main reason to speak out about it so if there was anybody listening who was potentially going through sort of similar issues to what you went through and um, what would be your advice to them i would say reach out to the various charities that i'm um working alongside um carmen nirvana 
Force Marriage Unit, um, NASA Matt Foundation, um, the Albert Kennedy Trust, you know, there is help out there, and I didn't know it at the time either, but there is help out there, reach out, get the support that you need, become self-efficient and understand you are who you were born to be, and just be that person. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a bit about why, we've talked about South Asian representation and why that's important, but why do you feel that um, LGBTQ plus representation is important? um i think lgbtq plus representation is important because there's not not enough of it to be fair and there's still so much social stigma around it in terms of being queer and being your um being your amazing self i believe um i I believe being queer is an experience but it's not an experience where it's going to fade away an experience for you to feel who you are and enjoy that kind of experience um in that perspective um but i don't feel there's enough representation and there should be more representation especially for people of color and queer people of color Mm -hmm. because we don't get the same spaces as the general normative people do as i call it um in that perspective but yeah i don't think there's enough representation I was going to say, yeah, because I'm a massive advocate for South Asian representation in all avenues of life. Like, that's my thing. Like, I feel like there is not enough representation of South Asian people, the different communities within it, the individuals within there, like the amount of talent that we have in the South Asian community in England alone. Forget worldwide. You know, I'm a massive. Yeah, precisely. (laughs) Exactly. But just South Asian talent and representation worldwide is so not where it needs to be yet. And then to even consider the fact that there's different avenues like um gender and then being part of the lgbtq plus community and like every other different aspect of life that you could belong to there's just like that representation isn't where it needs to be yet right Mm. so it just feels like you need to kind of bring platform to those things and that's how you kind of integrate that change and make it uh, like you said like we you called us the normative people make make the norm anything that you want to be it's inter intersectionality isn't it and it's Mm -hmm. like people don't necessarily think that there can be different layers to think it's why it's no good you saying that you're a feminist for example if you're not going to take into account that um bayum um women or um especially black women the extra layer of problems that they have to go through because of both their gender and their race like if you're going to ignore that then there's no point yeah. you saying you're a feminist because you're not taking the issues of all women into account so yeah. and i think the same stands for south asian <clears throat> representation you can't have a platform that's representative of south asian people without inviting people like yourself in or people that uh belong to other communities because otherwise that wouldn't be holistic it wouldn't be it wouldn't comprise the actual reality of what our community which is so beautiful and diverse actually includes mm-hmm. you know yeah, because once you go brown, you never go back. <laughs> I just, I, my, my, my perspective on it all is, I just find it so disheartening the fact that there are so many great South Asian representation and the likes of certain TV shows, I'm going to say, just don't pick people from the brown community mm-hmm. and I don't understand. And, and I would name quite a few like yourselves in here, you know, like... um. Bobby Fiction, Bobby Friction, Parks, Four from BBC Asian Network. You know why are they not on 
I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I don't understand. Mm. They've got to read the radio host on there. What's wrong with putting a brown person on there? You know? They actually have such a massive following. Like all the yeah. main main time and BBC Asian Network yeah. people, basically, they have like massive following. I wasn't <clears throat> even properly aware of that until I started listening to um, it on the regular. And then I noticed they do those live events yeah. as well. And the amount of people yeah. that turn up just to see those yeah. identities, mm-hmm. and that's just based on their voice. Yeah. So... Well, yeah. I feel like as a South Asian show or as any kind of <coughs> platform that in, that it mostly includes South Asian people presents that kind of culture and background, you do get put in a box, don't you? Don't you think? Like you do that. That just becomes you. That's your entire identity. That you are South Asian. This is the South Asian show. That's it. You can't really. There's not a lot of leeway or movement outside of that box, and that's why I kind of the reason why I wanted to play like Drake yeah. and stuff because I was like let's try and integrate both yeah. and mix it up because that's how you'll get the engagement around from other people and like we've mm-hmm. had some very interesting comments on our Instagram recently from people from the black community speaking about their experience and how they align very well with the stuff that we've spoken about yeah. and stuff so there are there are a lot of parallels to be drawn from our community and others and I think that's where representation really comes into play and how we can bring a platform to those issues and make it relevant for everybody yeah mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask, do you feel like um, this form of representation has got better? And if it has, is it... Obviously, we, we know from what you just said that it's not quite there yet, but do you think it's got better during your lifetime? No, no. I don't. The reason why I believe this is, um, unfortunately, there's so much going on in the world, and what's in is what's in. So what's in now, unfortunately, because they are getting killed, which is the truth, black people are getting killed, that's mm-hmm. what's in. You know, so they're not including the brown community, but they're replacing the brown community with a black extra person. Do you understand? That's what they're doing, which is a sad, which is a sad case. You know, or they'll integrate it now with the stop the Asian hate because with a Chinese person or a do you understand something like that? They're not really thinking on the wider perspective of let's mm-hmm. just be diverse and get people from all sides of the community, and let's be diverse and get people from all shapes and sizes yeah. and you know people who they are how, how they represent so for me i don't think it's got better mm, i suppose like it's kind of just like representation has kind of turned into whatever the next hashtag is mm-hmm. just yeah. kind of jumping that's on that it. and then that's what it is. Well, we've yeah. spoken about that before with like trend setting activism and performative <clears throat> activism on instagram it's all well it's all well and good to post your black square but yeah. what does that mean what are you yeah. doing you know are you actually out there and doing stuff do you know what i saw as well is you know obviously it's it's horrific like the rise in um east asian mm-hmm. hate that has happened Disgusting. especially in light of covid and more recently yeah. obviously what happened in america and after what happened in america recently there was um a tweet that someone said apparently people had started um campaigning to start posting yellow squares i was literally like first I of all first that. of all that's not going to do anything and second of all yeah kind yellow racist, squares but... yeah are, are you serious <laughs> like, oh dear like some people yeah that just kind of proves that it is like very like performative for mm-hmm. a lot of people and it's they're not really thinking about what they're trying to do so on on that note actually um if we're thinking specifically about allies of the um, lgbtq plus community especially within the south asian diaspora what can we do or what's the best thing we can do in order to be good allies and basically do our most to try and get things on a level playing field just acknowledge honor the work that people are putting in from um queer people of color and brown communities as well honor and rise up and shout well out for people that are doing the work that are out there you know personally um 
I work with so many various charities. I work with so many companies um, through influencers for Instagram and stuff like that. And the narrative they paint is just not good enough for a person like me because I'm brown, I'm squared into a box. That should not be happening still today. So as allies, I need people to voice people like myself and people like Asper Lahore, people like, um, you know, um, Charlie Craig. She's a good one. She really does, uh, um, a trans woman that really, really pushes the boundaries for people of colour. You know, she proper shouts out for them and stuff like that. But there's not enough allies doing it from not the queer community. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not happening. I don't see it. I don't see it. All I see is getting messages about makeup and, you know, how I look. This not the work. Understand that I did an interview for BBC News the other day, and all I got was makeup messages about my makeup and my yeah. hair, not about the words that were coming out of my mouth. Mm. You know, and again, I've sat down with this year. I've sat down through COVID and last year through international directors, producers, and stuff about things coming up, and I've been told to my face, "I'm not what's in right now." what's in like is but who determines what's in and what's not in and what's relevant and when yeah. it's not like because your lived experience is what mm. makes you who you are that's that's lucky we're saying my color of my skin takes it yeah. away how do you feel about the um rise as well of awareness of what it means to be non-binary as someone that identifies as that as yourself because i feel like that's certainly Obviously, non-binary people have existed for time, but the conversation surrounding it and I think awareness and acceptance of it has been on the rise, I'd say, over the past few years um, through various discourse. Um, So how do you feel um, representation in that field has changed, if at all? Do you think, again, it's like what's in sort of thing? I kind of feel like um, it it is what's in. For me i do see what's in right now because i don't believe me personally i don't really like labels i only stuck that label on because i constantly got hounded when i'm doing an interview or something what do you how do you identify you know i, I do identify as non-binary and that's that's a simple fact because it's a simplified term mm-hmm. for now do you understand it's a simplified term but for me i don't like labels and i don't think we should have labels because it's it sticks to you completely from that perspective mm-hmm. i completely agree because yeah. non-binary like you said it is just that term and it's yeah. just a label and it's digestible for yeah. the average person to kind of intake whereas the reality of being non-binary or feeling however you feel about your yeah. own gender is a very complex yeah. thing you know yeah. and that's not well you can't sit down and discuss that with every single person that you yeah, encounter yeah. how complex it is but i suppose for now like you said the the label itself, non-binary, although labels are ineffective, as we've learned yeah. over the many decades of having labels, um, the label for now kind of works for people to just accept it and, you know, get comfortable with it. So just so you know, my label's going to keep changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you keep demanding Well, labels label. don't mean anything, yeah. honestly. So I kind of just started trying to, just when I address people, just saying they, yeah. like all the time, just because it's kind of like, like you might as as well and and i understand the reason that people have the pronouns and stuff and i do respect everything like that but i don't get offended because unless i tell you and you've not done it then i'll get offended Mm -hmm. but if you don't know you shouldn't feel the fear to address that person because they've not let you know do you understand i understand it what you're saying to me that obviously i just address that person but that might that person might take that as an offense then instead 
understand. Mm. So it comes to the term of asking the person first, how do you identify? Like you asked me today before I came, mm. how do you identify? And I'm like, you know. And that's, that's just honouring somebody's yes. presence yes. as well and having the most amount of respect. And that shows how far people are coming in that, in that way. I think that does it show how it does show how progressive we have yeah. come as individuals. I think the ones that do want to make that effort and want to be more, I'm going to say this word, woke, yeah. not really the word to use, but the word I'll go with for now, that people do will go ahead and ask, so what pronouns do you prefer or how do you prefer being addressed or whatever? Like The fact that people are making that step, it's something you didn't see, I'd say yeah. five years ago yeah, even, yeah, forget definitely. 10, yeah, 15 definitely. years ago, you know? It's weird as well, like, really, like, Sim, like obviously you're a few years younger do you, do you did you see that in school because i remember when i was in the school i think it was still a bit of like a um certainly certainly the idea of like gender and how people identify just wasn't really discussed at all like as in like it wasn't a um aware it wasn't aware the yes, awareness yes. i feel if you went into schools now like i feel like the current generation would like even if they're averse to it for whatever reason, they'd still be aware that mm-hmm. it's a thing. Whereas I don't think that was in place, like say, like seven years ago or whatever. No, I would say my experience hasn't been like that at all. No one was really aware, nor did anyone want to make the effort to be aware. And like, I feel like I went to a school that was, I would say, ninety-eight percent South Asian. We were all um, Indian or Pakistani, Sri Lankan. A lot of uh, the vast majority were. Um, so obviously that wasn't a conversation that was being had a lot of the time. Maybe as I was getting older, the conversations were ha- were ha- beginning to happen because it was like that time where like this started to become a thing, right? But honestly, conversations about gender, how you feel about your own gender, anyone else's pronouns, sexuality, that those were just not being had at mm-hmm. all whatsoever. And I think only since I've come to uni, and I don't know if it's a uni thing or if it's a northern thing or anything or just getting or a getting older thing but those conversations are now being had people are a lot more respectful of people's sexuality their gender their boundaries and what they're comfortable with talking mm-hmm. about and what they're comfortable with being addressed as and you know everything of the sort for sure um just before again we play a bit more music um i know you wanted um to maybe touch upon um certain um um things you've been involved in so obviously we talked about um the project that you've been involved in um that aired yesterday yeah yeah so do you want to tell us a bit about that so i filmed um a production by green carnation theater and it was premiered on Termfest in manchester and hope mill theater and that was um, a piece by priyanka jar which she wrote it and i auditioned for it and i got it so it was Amazing. really really interesting and i really wanted to do it because um i don't really see people that looked like me doing stuff like that and it really really got to me when i seen the post i was like you know what i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna do it and mm-hmm. i've seen it on rainbow noir shout out to them um who are um the vast majority growing of people of color lgbt stuff walking with them in pride um so i seen it on there and i was like do you know what i'm gonna go for it so i did it absolutely smashed it i was so happy with myself yeah. <laughs> like literally i was so happy and it kind of brought a sense of resilience to my life as well because i understood the words that were coming off the page as well you know and it, I, was, I brought it to life yeah. so for that so that was good um free self-publishing my book i've worked alongside so many charities though as well and it's important to acknowledge that charities are still unfortunately getting a high rise of calls because of the issues that i've faced personally as well um still in that sense and we need to honor the fact that charities are out there doing the work we need to 
support them. Carmen Nirvana, Albert Kennedy Trust, and the Forced Marriage Unit again. Um, you know, Nazamat Foundation. Get involved and help out. And let's let's make what happened to me not happen to somebody else. Let's mm. do, let's do that collectively. Um, also, a big shout out to Attitude Magazine because obviously I won the Attitude Pride Award 2019. Congratulations! That, thank you so much, and that really propelled me to be acknowledged in the heteronormative world and i would say or even that you know but it was really hard to even get that can you imagine somebody brownie actually achieving that as well it's, it's quite shocking to see you know mm. so for me it was quite a big deal for me and um it was good and i've been able to platform myself on that as well and work alongside um international directors well some stuff will be coming out hopefully later on this year um in that sense so yeah everything's been really good guys um Yes, we are back. My name's Gerns and we've got Lucky Roy Singh in the building. Hello, 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 hello. And Simran has now gone behind camera. Hi, I'm adding camera women to my CV now. Yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> add it to your LinkedIn. Um, the reason for that is because we are going to get into a bit of a discussion about the most recent um, season of Drag Race UK. And for those of you that don't know, the final was on Thursday and it was a bit controversial um, in terms of who won and what happened. So I've got, I've literally got like a load of questions like about like all the best things. Don't have to be Wait, relative. spoiler alert before you say who the oh, winner yeah, is. Oh yeah, spoiler alert. But if you haven't watched already, what are you doing? No. But like, um, um, yeah, I've got like maybe like 10, 15 minutes left. So let's like go through these like rapid. Mm -hmm. But first of all, what's your general thoughts on like season two in general? I loved it. I loved um, the diversity in the cast. I um, would like to have seen a brown person on it, but, you know, it was good. I think it was amazing how they had the gags. I think the people on it were superb. I think all the queens did an amazing job, and a lot of them deserved the crown. Mm. I think as well this season, um, I only, like, it was season one of Drag Race that actually got onto it because my girlfriend has watched, like, US Drag Race. Yeah for a while and i said like before in the break i'd always kind of been a bit like averse to it because it seemed a bit too reality tv yeah. style um but then she was watching the uk season one and i kind of just found myself like drawn to it because there was so much of like this like british humor yeah, and like yeah. it was just i found it so much more easy to like digest um so I, I actually went back and like watched like bits of it, but this is the first season where I've actually like properly yeah. watched all the way through. But I definitely feel like there's a lot more sense of like they're also like they're a family this season. I think yeah. compared to last season, they're yeah. a lot more in, like tight knit. Like obviously they're in it to win it, but they're a lot more friendly with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could you could literally tell that they were really really happy to just be there as well. Mm. In terms of um, you know how Lawrence and um ellie diamond were from scotland so yeah. they were really really gelled well together and taste and ahora who were obviously whatever they were doing <laughs> no comment no comment um, but they were yeah. obviously really good gelling together it was it was it was good yeah definitely also i think you'll have that because it's still a newer show here we're still in what season two here yeah. mm. whereas america they're in 13 now 13 wow. so then it's such a big thing in america now they're yeah. not going to have that kind of companionship that we have here because it's just starting out like yeah, you said they just happen to be yeah. there because yeah, they're just yeah. lucky to have this yeah. show here in the first place mm. um what were your thoughts on the final that aired on thursday and who won i think the final was very good um they did a lot of work 
and a lot of work was put into it, I believe. Um, who won? Lawrence Cheney, spoiler alert, which was, um, I'm happy for Lawrence because I think he was really good from the get-go. Like, um, I know Bimini did so well and she's an amazing queen and shout out to her and I think she should have won as well if there was a double crown. But Lawrence was good from the get-go, from the start, where Bimini had time to sit back for those nine months that they were in COVID, look at herself and find the, you know, courage to come to the forefront and fight for the crown then. She had that reservation to mm. sit back and look at her outfits and think, maybe should I alter this? Should I change this? Should I do this? Mm. You know? I think... The thing that I wasn't that pleased about Lawrence was is that they kind of... Because at the start of the season, I was completely, like, neutral, like, whatever. But they, as the season went on, personally, I found them to maybe be a bit whiny. And I didn't really like how much they went in at Ellie Diamond over that order thing. And I like, was kind of yeah. like, oh, like, why have you done that? Like, And, and even after um, Ellie apologised, still saying, oh, well, why, why are you asking if I'm okay? And it's like, she's just trying to be nice. Like, you know, I mean, I think after that, I, I was kind of a bit like, mm, I don't, like, like it's a, it's a, it's a competition. Like, what do you expect? And also, she was arguably the weak person in the weakest position at that time. Obviously, she's gonna put an order that advantage yeah. that puts her in an advantage. Like, I saw, oh, what, what if I could, I, I could have gone home? Well, isn't that the point of the competition? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I was, um, personally, um, I wouldn't say disappointed because I say I can recognize that Lawrence Cheney is obviously like talented and they put a lot of work in and they've come. They've they've come up basically like compared to what how they've spoken about their childhood etc. Um, I was just arguably I was rooting more for like in Bimini or even like Taste. I know I know Taste isn't like maybe the best in terms of um she, she, yeah like, yeah she's not like at the top. But then one thing that I I thought that she saved their um performance of um little bit of love at, yeah. at the end like because yeah. i was kind of a bit like yeah like I, I i in terms of that whole performance i was a bit like not really that oh he's so, going for it carla no. they're gonna come for you <laughs> they're no. gonna come for you it, i think it is as well it's the editing because yeah. i've seen on twitter there's a thing of a little bit of love but it's um in sync yeah. and i think whoever yeah, yeah. edited it You've done a bad job <laughs> because um Ooh. literally no it's, it, these are lip syncing um I did. I I literally did notice that the mm. BBC editing was a bit off this season for some reason. Even mm. when they came back, it was like um, they had an orange light on them in the confessional. Then they switched it up again, mm. and changed it again. The, then the lip sync towards the end. You're right. There. I did see that on Twitter. And a lot of the girls from the actual series did say the lip sync on live. I on their Instagram said it was out of sync. What was going on there? Yeah. So you can yeah. say this is this is an us um putting false information out this is literal fact guys yeah. so don't come for us over this well scotland's gonna come for you yeah scotland's well, i know you know, you know i've got like friends that live in glasgow <laughs> and stuff and i'm like you know what i recognize like especially seeing as it's the first season where they've had of uk i don't know about america but where they've had a scottish queen on mm. um i think it's it's great in terms of like that like it sounds weird to say, but like Scottish representation, like it, it's it's weird because when you say Scottish representation, it sounds like a bit of a joke, but it actually yeah. isn't. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. we are quite, we do, we don't really think about anything else. We're quite like centric in terms of like just think about England. But... but did they also have Welsh and Northern Irish queens on there? So they had Northern Irish in season one, but not this season. Um, this that was just cool. In the final, there was four of them. Yeah. 
one of them English, two of them Scottish, and one of them Welsh. Wow. So none nice. of them Indian. Just point it out there. Yeah, just point it out there. Um, <laughs> just briefly taking a break from um UK Drag Race. Um, how was it seeing um, Priyanka win um Canada Drag Race? Oh my God, it was like so surreal. I was so happy when she won. I was so happy to just see somebody that looked like me mm. on there because it was amazing. What she did was superb. Um, I wrote an open letter them on twitter and the producers that um picked Bianca messaged me back on twitter and said thank you so much this is why we you know we picked somebody like her because we wanted you to see visibility and representation and i thought it was really really sweet and one of the judges messaged me as well so it was really really sweet um mm. for them to understand how much sick because the whole franchise has never been an indian on it mm. what is going on like yeah. have you seen this brown fantasy yeah right here RuPaul, yeah. what you did, what you playing at? <laughs> nah, like I, I didn't watch Color Drag Race, but um, my flatmate at the time was um watching the final, so I watched the final, and I was like, wow, like she stole my look, Janka. Oh, oh. <laughs> shots fired, <laughs> igniting him at drag, drag queen beef at yeah. radio. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I just wanted to ask, going back to UK Drag Race. Um, if you like favorites, so who is your of regardless who was in the final, who is your favorite queen of the whole season? Like who and who is you like rooting for to win? Bimini and Taste. Yeah, I think I I'm the same. Like yeah, I think they're, they're the most likable. I think Bimini Bon Boulash. Yeah, these no, game. Bimini yeah. Bon Burgle. Even yeah. I know <laughs> that. I didn't watch it. I everyone's been talking about her. So when she didn't win, the even mayor I was of... like, oh. Mm. Yeah, the mayor of London even tweeted her. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> created as a few one in our eyes. Mm. Yeah. Um, favorite lip sync of the season. Uh, I just I I liked all Tasty's lip syncs. I just felt like uh, the music did do her justice. No offense to any of that music, but yeah. it really like even I don't know how I would work that in a sari to that song. I'm just trying mm. to work it in my head. Like how would I do it? I'd have to rip the sari off yeah. and have a gag underneath or something. Just say as well the irony of them yeah. using a Jess Glynn song. Yeah. And then the, the week after her <laughs> um, comments on Mo Gulligan's podcast, when she, yeah, like, I know a lot of people weren't happy about <laughs> that. But, um, yeah, I think they'll live and learn. Um, I don't know. I thought, I actually, I know what my favourite lip sync was. It was... Um, taste and ellie diamond and because oh, yeah. I, I, I love that step song as well like that was the first they both one went for it. Yeah, exactly that they was the first one where i was like wow, wow like they both like really want to yeah, yeah. be there but yeah like this comes on to the next point as well like what do you think about the fact taste was brought back four times like that's uh, I, I don't know how do you feel about that i am so happy because i love taste i know i know i know everyone's like no 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 but she's brought back like, four times but taste literally is a superstar you just look at her and you know she's a superstar and the work that she's put in previously to the show and the work that she put on the show was really really good i do kind of feel and i'm gonna say it they only put her through because they needed some diversity on the mm. final four it's a sad it's a sad case but i, I do believe I, yeah. that i do believe that unfortunately but no calms to her she did deserve to be in the final four yeah not, not felt in the color of her skin or anything like that and saying anything like that she did deserve to be there. I'm not saying anything like that, but I do think the main reason she was there was for diversity. Mm, yeah, and I think the fact that she was brought back so many times, and a lot of people are saying like, "Oh, I don't think um, RuPaul 
likes her. And I was like, if RuPaul didn't like, like her, it. she'd be gone. <laughs> like, why so would four times. Literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I love, like, I think Tace is arguably the, out of the final four, is the best performer. And yeah. I think that was shown in that, that final performance. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, of season two. Um, <laughs> what do you think about um, Ginny Lemon walking? Oh, that was a gag. That was the biggest gag. Everyone, every time someone walks to the back of the stage now, you're always debating about are they mm. going, are they going, are they going. Um, but no, I think I think she did what she felt right and pretty gag worthy. No one's really done that before, and she was the most talked about queen. Like mm. she's going to be the most talked about queen that ever walked off. Let's be in the whole franchise mm. because she did that, and she still brought her back for the finale, which I think was good of RuPaul. So shout yeah. out to RuPaul for that because he could just laughed her like he didn't bring her back previous episode where they're asking queens to come back yeah so, that, that, yeah. that kind of made sense yeah, that, that's a bit yeah, better. yeah yeah um yeah because a lot of people have kind of been like oh it's rude like she should have done it but i'm just like if you don't want to lip sync don't want to lip sync no, you know I've what i mean got, like i've got such a good gag if i do it mm. oh okay what you've already thought about I've, it I've, okay. got bag. I've got everything planned out i'm just waiting for the call sis <laughs> um what are your thoughts on this um season snatch game and who's your favorite my favorite, do you know what? My favorite was Ahora. Really, Louis Spence. Yeah, because she went for it properly. I feel like, and she had some gag-worthy stuff with the legs. Yeah, and all that. she did. She she fought it out. I was quite surprised at how mm. little they made that aspect of her show. Yeah. To be fair, because I thought she was kind of good. And you could tell that she was um not impressed. Yeah, she when she uh, and she went back and she was like, with a coat like yeah. on the floor. But was that fair enough? Like I thought they were they were a bit overcritical that i didn't understand why um how do you compare this season to last season like do you think it's improved do you think it's you can't compare them or what do i you think, think it's definitely improved i think the season um season one season two it has improved um not sure about the editing mm. just not sure i don't know what's going on there but um not the editing of the queens the whole editing of the production bit it's a mm. bit off in some places i don't know what that what's going on with yeah. that you think on a show that is literally revolves around lip syncing, yeah. they would make an effort to make sure that of the final, the lip sync yeah. is actually because that I think that's what kind of ruined it for me and why I was just a bit like, mm. like, take like I said, taste um saved it for me because I was literally like when yeah. they came on at the end and was like jumping onto the floor and everything, I was like, yes, like you are Should fully proving why you deserve to be there, yeah. but. I think I kind of got the impression that the other queens weren't as good because of the fact that they were off the whole time. And I think surely they must have been like off. They must have not been off, like for the, for all of them to be off like the whole time. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it must have been something to do with the editing. Um. So last few questions. So you said this already. Um. You're waiting for the call then. So you you would go on. I would go on, but I won't go on yet. So what are, you, what are you waiting for then? I've got a few things in the pipeline myself, um, but I'm also waiting for there to be a cash prize because oh, I'm getting yeah. all glammed up for a for a badge which I can get from eBay. That's just it, Sorry, that's guys. that's what's Sorry, so guys. funny is um in America when they're literally like, are oh, you in like a a shopping spree worth five k or like this that the other like each week and here it's like you have won a coveted Rue Peter badge wear it with pride and it's literally like because thanks, Ruth, like and RuPaul's tipping all the girls in season thirteen and it was five k 
that's the budget coming out of there. He's giving it to the girls. Mm. Every season, they, every episode they win, they get 5k. Wow. And you know, the thing is as well, obviously, I get, like, cause it's because it's BBC, isn't it? That's why they can't do it. But someone posted, like, RuPaul is loaded what, with all like, the fracking yeah, stuff as well. But, like, um, <laughs> you'd think that there. they would at least, like, maybe, like, on the, on the side, like, give them a bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they deserve it. That that was actually one thing that I definitely wanted to ask. Thoughts on the H&M stuff. Like, do you think that was fair? The whole... No, because a lot of queens haven't got the funds to do. And, like, you've got to understand there's so much that goes into drag race. The wigs, the makeup, the costumes. You know, sometimes you're going to have to throw on a bodysuit from H&M and work mm. it out, you know, in that sense. I would have liked to have seen him bedazzle it. I do agree with that. You should yeah. get it and have do a bit more with it. I do grab do get that but some queens just don't have the money and shading them for that is really really bad i feel yeah you know um on live teller yeah, <laughs> yeah for, and it, during a global pandemic because yeah, yeah. all when they yeah, literally yeah. haven't been able to perform oh, local like, shopping yeah literally <laughs> um so final question um what would be your ideal um lip sync song for if you were on it oh i think it was um Sorry by Demi, Demi Lovato. Really? Yeah. Okay. I've got too many gags to do to it. Be, I'm going to have to go and listen to the lyrics of that again yeah. and like think about what that could possibly be. I've got too many gags, so I'm just I'm just like debating about whether to go. No, I think so. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm not on season three that everyone keeps messaging yeah, me. Yeah, like because they finished on, filming, haven't they? I am they? not on season three, unfortunately. No. Oh, unfortunate. Um, also as well, like, who, do you have any ideas on who you want to be for Snatch Game? Well, this is a good question because since Tayson um, and uh, Stina Mandela have a conversation, of, they didn't really have a lot of options for black people. Mm. Now, I'm trying to think, who would I do as a South Asian Indian drug queen? Who would I actually do? Come on, hit me with it. Well, guys, the... Yeah, I'm going to have to just, well, play, I'm just gonna have to play myself. I was... But I have got, go on. I was just, I was just speaking to my um, girlfriend about this and she yeah. was like, if I was on it, I'd be the... Miss, can I just tell her? I'm sorry to hear that your grandma passed away. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really, really good. That's actually a good one, actually. That funny. But that then, funny. once you've done that once, like, what can you do? You know what I mean? Like, has to be stuff you can, like, take on and, like, make loads of different stuff out of, rather than once you said that on the line, like... So, the bit of tea here, I, I auditioned for season 11, because I got asked. Oh, of America. You, okay. In America, because, like, they asked me to send an audition. And I did it. So for the person that I, I didn't get on, by the way, because Evie Adley won this clearly. But, um, you know, um, I auditioned with, I don't know if you watch it, uh, watched it, was, um, is it the Kumars at number 42? Yeah. I did yes, the grandma. Yeah. I did the grandma. And it was so, <laughs> I was so good. I was like, yeah, I'm living my best life. And I also did um, Priyanka Chopra. Oh, my mm. God. I did her because everyone always says to me in the clubs when you've got dark marine lips, do you like Priyanka? I'm like, no. Do, but <laughs> what can I say? You know, it's one of those, yeah. <laughs> one of them, yeah. for them too. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I am definitely hoping to see you on it at some point. Probably go home first now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and hopefully we can get you back again soon because I feel like there's so much more for us to like talk about that we haven't even been able to cover in like an hour and a half. Um, we're gonna finish with my favorite song this year so far and i want it to go to number one um but before we do that do you want to just tell people where they can find you if they want to 
Okay, so um, Lucky Roy Sink on Twitter, on Instagram and on Facebook and on Amazon as well to buy my diary if you want to read it and all professionals make sure you read the diary because it'll give you an insight into how to help victims of unabased abuse, forced marriage and LGBTQ plus rights. Thank you so much Pi Radio, Simran and Carlos. It's Thank been you. a great experience. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for coming in. It's been great having you.